Are you happy with that? Yeah. Welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are continuing our series on Paul Bernardo and Carla Holmaka. Do we have to? I mean, we can stop. I would be perfectly <laughs> fine with that. I'm washing my brain. And where did, where did we leave off last week, Katie? When we left off last week, Paul and Carla had just drugged and raped Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy. Because they used a mixture of lethal drugs, Tammy passed away after choking on her own vomit. Despite suspicion, Tammy's death was ruled accidental and her funeral was held four days later on December 27th, 1990. And nothing came of any investigations, right? There wasn't really one. The cop that sat with them at their house, he thought that the burns on her mouth came from them cooking down cocaine, I think. He thought and then they pouring were, it on her face. He thought they were making making crack, I guess, but they weren't doing that. So that was it. Well, that, that explains it all. That full explanation of nothing explains it all. Are cops usually finding burns on uh, the mouths of people who cook crack? I don't know. I didn't think you really needed chemicals, but I don't really no, know it's, how to uh, make baking crack. soda. You need yeah. baking soda and, and cocaine. So I don't know. I don't know what his thought process was. Obviously, but interesting. Okay, he was wrong. That cop had never actually seen anyone cook crack. <laughs> I mean, I have it. Most people have it. I think cops usually do. In early January, the elder Homalkas went to Toronto and Carla's sister Lori to her grandparents' house. Because Paul and Carla had the house to themselves, and because Paul's fantasy of raping his wife's 15-year-old sister had been interrupted by her death, they decided they would pick up a girl off the street and bring her back to the house. Because it went so well last time. Yeah. The girl, who was known only as January Girl, was raped on the floor of Carla's bedroom before Paul drove her out to a deserted road and left her. They weren't concerned she would report them to police. Their only concern was that she lived. So they didn't have a repeat of last time. Yeah. They were a little paranoid about that? Yeah, who wouldn't be, even if you're like a serial rapist with lots of experience. Paul wasn't satisfied by this rape, though, as January Girl was compliant and didn't scream or fight Paul. Carla was struggling to figure out how to please him, as things hadn't been going well the last two months. She finally decided that she would recreate the rape of her sister by pretending to be her. The book goes into extreme detail of every second of the videotape Paul and Carla created. The conversation mostly revolved around Carla, saying she was glad Paul involved her in the rape of her sister, and, quote, We like little girls. We like to fuck them. If you're gonna fuck them, I'm gonna lick them. That's what Carla said? Mm-hmm. What could cause somebody to have such a fucking twisted perception of things that they would think that's okay, yeah, especially after it was done to her sister? <laughs> and that's another one of those quotes that I'm going to bring back up during the trial. Because oh, will it'll you be please? important. It's not something I'm repeating because I want to repeat. After the rest of the family returned home from their trips, Dorothy Homolka decided that she didn't want Paul living in her house anymore. Finally. Only six months away from their wedding, Paul and Carla decided they would find a home of their own. Paul was making very good money smuggling cigarettes, and they were able to rent a large house in Port Dalhousie, I think, a waterfront community in St. Catharines. They moved in on January 30th, 1991. For whatever reason, around this time, Carla decided she wanted to get Paul involved in the local Masonic Lodge. He went to a few meetings and fell in love, mostly because the group revolved around secrecy. Paul also began pursuing his dream to become a rapper. 
His role model was Vanilla Ice, and he would sing Ice Ice Baby way more often than any person ever should. One of the main reasons he continued to hang out with the Smirnis brothers was because they were younger and kept him connected to the youths. That's not a direct quote. That was me. Well, if they turned him on to Vanilla Ice, they're obviously real good friends. So for a lot of the videotapes that him and Carla made, Vanilla Ice was playing in the background. Oh, good. I mean, so here's the thing. Vanilla Ice only has one good song. It's not even a good song. He's only got one known song. No, he has two. Two songs. And neither of them are good kink music, I don't think. He was a white rapper, though, and Paul was white and wanted to be a rapper, so he had to find a white role model, I guess. Did this dude change his last name to Wall a little bit down the road? Hmm. Paul Wall. Paul Wall is dope. So is Bubba. Paul attended a trip to Florida with the brothers in February 1991, where he met and fell in love with a woman named Allison. Did he go back and see this girl a bunch, or... No. He was just jerking off thinking about her? Yeah, and the reason he liked her so much was because she enjoyed anal sex, and Paul had, I guess, yet to find a woman that did. The two had sex multiple times, and Paul told Carla all about her when he returned home. The thought of Allison was apparently enough to keep Paul satiated for a few months, as his next rape didn't occur until April. This rape was very unique from the other 11 attacks, as it occurred in daylight and nowhere near a bus stop. On the 6th of April, around 5.30 a.m., Paul grabbed a 14-year-old girl as she walked to rowing practice. He pulled her into a wooded area and raped her, leaving her naked and alone as he ran back to his house. When he arrived back at home, he excitedly told Carla that he'd just raped a girl. She was upset, not at the fact that he'd raped a 14-year-old, but at the fact that he did it so close to home. Even though the Scarborough rapist cases had been all but forgotten, she and Paul couldn't risk being caught and losing everything. Was she a little irked that he was doing it with, like, going out and doing all this stuff without her? No, because the other 11 had been without her. Ah. Carla decided that as a wedding present, and to keep Paul out of trouble, she would find a girl they could invite to the house whenever they wanted without raising any suspicions. So they were trying to find someone to get consensual with it? That or that they would come over and be drugged and think they just drank too much and would go home and not think anything of it. Ah, okay. Carla decided on a girl who was only known as Jane Doe. The two met when Carla was working at a pet store three years earlier and Jane, 12 at the time, came in to see one of the puppies they were selling. Jane always looked up to Carla, like the big sister she didn't have. She was absolutely over the moon when Carla called her and invited her to the house to hang out on June 7, 1991. When she arrived, Carla was there alone. Carla supplied her with alcohol until she blacked out, waking up the next morning extremely hungover and sick. When she went downstairs, she met Paul for the first time. Was it the first time? Jane Doe was completely unaware that Carla had mixed Halcyon into her drinks until she passed out, then dressed her like Tammy and waited for Paul to arrive home. The two recreated the videotape that they intended to make with Tammy with Jane, only this time Carla was sure not to hold the halothane-soaked towel over her mouth for too long. A week later, on June 14, 1991, Paul went to the local courthouse and obtained a marriage license for their June 29th wedding. He couldn't resist taking another girl when the opportunity arose and a victim appeared practically before his eyes. 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey had been going through a tough time recently. 
First, it was a typical teenage angst. She lost interest in school, then she was caught shoplifting a CD. A few days before the 14th, one of her close friends was in a fatal car accident along with five other students from her school. That evening, a wake was scheduled at a local hangout called The Rock. Because of Leslie's recent trouble, her mother set a curfew of 11.30. She did not arrive home on time and found that all of the doors and windows to her house had been locked. She tried calling a friend and asking if she could spend the night there, but the friend said no. She was left sitting outside her home, not sure what to do. So this was typical, like, parents locking you out because you didn't get there in time type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, like, pushed it. She was like, okay, if I'm not home at 1130, I might as well stay out until 2. Ah. Because if I'm late, I might as well just be extra late. Yeah. Go f- a whole hog, as they say. After picking up his marriage license, Paul did a cigarette run, then met up with the Smyrnas brothers at a bar not far from the rock. Around 2 a.m., they decided to leave, but before heading home, Paul decided to steal some license plates from a neighborhood. What, so he could put those plates on his cars if he does cigarette runs in, or what? Yeah, I guess people would sit on the American side and call the Canadian authorities and report license plates of people that they saw with, like, excessive amounts of cigarettes. So uh, mm-hmm. he would have one on and then change it right before he crossed the border and then they wouldn't catch him. Clever, clever tricksy he is. As he walked through a hedge, he was surprised to see Leslie wandering around her house, trying to get in. He figured that once she was inside, he could sneak over to the window and watch her undress, since he was already there and the opportunity had presented itself. He snuck over to the opposite side of the house, but both he and Leslie were surprised when they ran into each other. Does she know him? No. They chatted a bit before Leslie asked Paul for a cigarette, and he led her to his car. As he grabbed a cigarette from inside, he also grabbed his knife. Brandishing it, he told Leslie to get in the car and blindfold herself. She complied and was quickly on her way back to Paul and Carla's home. When Paul arrived with Leslie, he went into the bedroom and shook Carla awake, telling her to not come downstairs for a while. Curious, she snuck to the top of the stairway and peeked down, watching as Paul videotaped a topless young girl who was blindfolded. Why didn't he want her to come down? I'm not sure. I think there was just times that he wanted her involved and times that he didn't. After watching for a few minutes, Carla decided Paul didn't want her involved, so she went back to bed and fell asleep. When she woke up in the morning, she went back to the same spot she'd spied on Paul before and looked around the house. The first thing she noticed was that her expensive champagne glasses were sitting on the kitchen counter. That made her extremely angry. Not the fact that Paul had kidnapped a literal child and brought her home to rape, but that they used her nice cups. She decided that she would just continue to mind her own business, and if Paul needed her help, he wasn't getting it. It's too bad that she didn't get a little more worked up about the cups and, like, turn them into the police, you know? Yeah, and this was something that she mentioned a lot during her later, like, videotaped interviews. She would constantly be like, yeah, I saw them using my cups. Motherfucking (laughs) champagne. I like to think that maybe they were those ones from Arby's with the gold rim that they gave out in the early 90s. Remember them? No. They were green, and they had gold rim. 24 karat gold rims. From an Arby's? From an Arby's. They just gave them out? Yeah. I got... My parents have All Dogs Go to Heaven on videotape recorded, and there's Arby's commercials on it. Interesting. Back at Leslie's home, her mother was now in full panic. She had contacted all of her friends, all of whom hadn't seen her. Even the boy who'd walked her home told the mother that he'd left Leslie standing next to her house. 
Because Leslie had run away multiple times before, police weren't quick to act, assuming that Leslie would show up eventually. Back at Paul and Carla's house, Carla's anger had subsided and she joined in on assaulting Leslie. Since her kidnapping, Leslie had been blindfolded with one of Paul's sweaters, but at one point during the video, it began to fall. It was quickly fixed, but Paul and Carla were unsure if she had gotten a look at either of their faces. She hadn't seen Paul's face before when she was talking to him? She did, but I don't think it was probably well enough to... Or he just didn't tell Carla? Report it. That's possible, yeah. But I think it was mostly so that she didn't see him driving to the house. And she didn't see the inside of the house, because that would be a lot easier to, I guess, to describe to police where you're at if you're looking out a window. And the police already had a description that matched him. It's not like he's been super tricky about hiding his face before, so this was probably just to keep their whereabouts unknown. Yeah. (laughs) They've already had multiple composites drawn of him, right? Yeah. Yeah, and composites... Sometimes you get really lucky and sometimes you don't. It's kind of a hit or miss with those, but knowing exactly where your rapist lives is a lot a lot bigger piece of evidence. Depending on who's asked, one of the two killed Leslie. Paul claims that Carla gave her a lethal dose of Halcyon, while Carla claims Paul strangled her to death. Either way, Leslie Mahaffey was murdered by Paul and Carla and her body drug into their basement, where it stayed while Carla's family came over for dinner. The next day, they decided the best way to dispose of her was to dismember her and place her body parts in slabs of concrete. Carla claimed that Paul did almost everything by himself, but it was obvious that Carla had helped. How was it obvious? If you're making concrete slabs, it's a lot harder to lift them and carry them just on your own, especially when they have body parts encased in them, so it's kind of... Like, one of them weighed 200 pounds. There's no way Paul... Wait, they didn't actually put the slabs in the ground? They just made a concrete slab and that was it yeah so they basically they poured a block of concrete they put pieces of her body in it and then they took them to a lake oh interesting okay they didn't like put her in the ground it had to be picked up and physically carried to the car and then carried out of the car Ah, which isn't a good way to go about it and we're gonna see i think they maybe didn't even let the concrete dry After Leslie's dismembered body was encased, they took them to Lake Gibson, around 11 miles away from their home. Each piece was dropped in the lake, save for one that weighed over 200 pounds that was left very close to the shore. Did they just drag it as far as they could into the water and leave it? Yeah, pretty much. And I don't think they realized the lake, the water level varied frequently. On June 29, 1991, while Paula and Carla were busy celebrating their wedding, a man named Bill and his wife Linda headed to Lake Gibson to canoe. The water level was the lowest they'd ever seen, as the lake was used to generate electricity and the water level changed frequently. As Bill and Linda walked down the shore to drop their canoe in, Bill stepped on a concrete slab that separated into two pieces. Inside was some sort of flesh substance, but Bill decided it was a fish of some sort and continued on his way. Someone was trying to make, uh, what are those things called? Big mouth billy bass. That's what I thought too. A fossil. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh, a fake fish fossil. Yeah, wait, a big mouth Billy Bass is what you thought, too. <laughs> That's what Jesus. I thought, too. I don't know. Science. <laughs> I think a lot of people, when they come across a dead body, especially a dismembered dead body, it is really difficult for their brain to comprehend that's what they're seeing. Well, that would be like my first thought, no matter what it was. That's just because you're hoping. A boy can wish, can't he? There's a lot of, like, a lot of people that don't, I guess, read and listen to true crime all the time are not expecting to come 
upon a dead body ever in their lifetime. Oh, what what world, what fantasy world where you live in where you can just bodily dupe along, look at something and be like, nope, just a fish, boop a doop a doo, and continue on. If you don't want to be involved in a trial and get subpoenaed and don't want to have to live with the fact that you just saw a dismembered dead body for the rest of your <laughs> life, I can see why you would just be like... Just because you ignore it doesn't mean you didn't see it. That's the fact of the matter is, is he found out later that, boy, was he wrong. As they were out on the water, another man arrived and noticed the concrete block, too. Around 8.15, Bill and Linda came back ashore and walked over to the block to take a look. It finally clicked in Bill's mind that encased in the slab was a foot and a human thigh. Not a big-ass, big-mouth Billy Bass. Big-ass Billy Bass is pretty good, too. (laughs) Imagine if it was just the ass of the fish talked. And sang a song. I'm just a fish. The ass of a fish. Don't you want me to grant your wish? I mean, presumably a fish that sings out its ass could grant a wish or two. They quickly discovered that there was another block not too far away. That one containing another foot and a calf. Police were called and they continued to find blocks, each containing a few body parts. After searching all night, police were then called to a bridge the next morning. They were met by a man who had been fishing and had hooked onto a woman's torso and kept it from floating away. That was nice of him. You'd have to be half tempted to just be like, nope, didn't see that. Cut the line. That was a weird looking fish. (laughs) Everyone in Canada just denies it when they come across a body. Hey, nobody here kills anybody, eh? Lot of weird fish, though. The torso was the last body part to be discovered, as it had been broken out of its concrete block and floated away. They did some pretty shitty concrete work, right? Did they not let it dry? What happened? Oh, I don't know what exactly they did. I think if it's a 200-pound slab, it's going to take more than, like, overnight to dry. Yeah. Before you drop it in water. Yeah, so you you gotta let the body set in the cement. That's why I was weirded out when they decided they were going to just put it in cement and then toss it in water. You can put it in cement and bury it. They're not intelligent people. No, they really aren't. What you really got to do is actually, like, build a shed and put the body in the hole, like, and then pour your slab over the bodies. Right, so you can visit the bodies all the time. And get haunted for the rest of your life? There's no such thing as ghosts. Leslie's body was identified by her orthodontic work, and her mother was informed of her daughter's death on her birthday. That's real fun for her mother. Yeah, it must have been a great day. As Leslie Mahaffey's body was being removed from the concrete, Paul and Carla were on a plane to Hawaii for their honeymoon, not a care in the world. While there, sometime before July 11th, Paul couldn't control himself and went back to his old ways, pulling a woman off the road as she walked and raping her. Man, not even vacation stops this man. Once their trip was over, they discovered that Leslie's body had been recovered from Lake Gibson. Paul and Carla were both terrified. They'd gone through what they thought was great lengths to ensure her (laughs) remains would never be found. (laughs) They didn't let it dry! They went through lengths. Yes, not long enough. Not great. I'm sure Paul was, like, sore the next day from carrying bags (laughs) of concrete, and he was like, oh yeah, that... That's going to work, because I don't feel good. To be sure something similar would never happen again, Carla filled two prescriptions for Halcyon from two different doctors to have on hand for their next victim. They were determined to choose their next quote-unquote sex slave carefully, following two different waitresses home from work multiple times. 
One, they successfully filmed undressing through her bedroom window, but it never went much further than that. One of the women noticed Paula and Carla stalking her and reported the license plate to the police, but she never heard back from them. When this failed, Paul and Carla began inviting Jane Doe over again, this time much more frequently. Jane began to develop a crush on Paul and would eventually consensually perform oral sex on him. Keep in mind that even though this was consensual, Jane was 16, a minor, and it's still very much rape and pedophilia. Yeah, and she probably like only thought that she liked him because of the whole history. She didn't realize that he's a fucking piece of shit. Paul would also coerce Jane into the act, telling her that she would do it if she wanted to remain friends with Carla. Again, 100% rape. Because Jane refused to allow Paul to have intercourse with her, he and Carla still routinely drugged and raped her. On August 10th, Carla provided Jane Halcyon lace drinks and the two waited until she was passed out. Paul got the video camera out while Carla placed the halothane-covered cloth over her face. Suddenly, Jane stopped breathing. Panicking, Carla rushed to the phone and called 911, telling them her friend wasn't breathing and the address before hanging up. She rushed back over to Jane and slapped her a few times, which fortunately worked. Ah yes, I think that's called redneck CPR. Canadian CPR. Carla called 911 and canceled the paramedics, telling them it was a false alarm and she was completely fine. I guess you can do in Canada, most of the time they would still send an ambulance here, I think. Hey, I went ahead and gave them the old Canadian CPR, eh? Oh, they woke up? Okay, they're fine. After this, Paul and Carla took a break from drugging and raping Jane, too worried that she would become another Tammy. Eventually, Jane finally realized that Paul and Carla had just been using her so Paul could eventually take her virginity. She never went back to their house again. Oh, man, she still thought she was a virgin. Yeah. That's sad. In typical Paul fashion, he committed another rape on December 23rd, two days before Christmas. He and Carla threw a party at their home and invited the Smyrnases, who brought along some of their friends, one of whom was a 17-year-old girl. After everyone had been drinking for a bit, the girl went to the bathroom. Almost right as she sat down, Paul came into the bathroom and shut the door behind him. She told him to get out, but Paul approached her and tried kissing her. As she tried to fight him off, Paul raped her on the bathroom floor. She screamed for her friend, but nobody came to help her. Two of Paul's friends stood outside the bathroom door and listened as the girl yelled for help, but they believed they heard moaning. Um, yeah, wh- that's just them trying to cover their asses, I think, because, um, I've never heard moaning that sounded like screaming. Or the word help. So, <laughs> were they there to watch or listen, I guess, or Keep stand watch? guard? Yeah, that's what I meant, Keep watch. It's entirely possible. I can't say for sure, but it seems odd that they were just conveniently outside the bathroom as Paul walked in knowing someone was in there. Yeah. That was a 17-year-old child. They probably knew that Paul was a raper, too, I think. Probably. I feel like he probably put off the vibes. The Smyrnases probably know all about it. If he never, like, actually told them, they definitely had a pretty good idea just from the way he behaved. Yeah. Once she was finally able to get away, she ran to her friends, who were unsurprised, and simply told her everything was fine. Dream Yuck. not your friends, if that yeah. ever happens to you. Despite their scare with Jane Doe and Leslie Mahaffey, Paul and Carla decided in April 1992 that they would go search for another sex slave. This time, Carla wanted to be much more involved than she had been in Leslie's abduction. She didn't like feeling left out, even when it came to Paul raping and murdering children. 
fuck this bitch. Yeah. On April 16th, 1992, the two went out shopping with plans to pick another girl while they were out. It was a long weekend, with schools being let out early for Easter, making it that much easier for Paul and Carla to find someone. They didn't really seem to care what it, like, they would have found someone whether it was Easter weekend or not, right? They're just fucking brazen about it. Yeah, but being Easter weekend, it meant that there would be younger girls and more available of them. for their choosing because they didn't want any random girl. They wanted a virgin. 15-year-old Kristen French was let out of school at quarter to three and headed straight for home. She usually arrived right around three to let her dog out of its kennel and feed it. Kristen was responsible and studious, always on her school's honor roll. She wasn't the type to run away and had never really been in any sort of trouble. When she didn't show up at home by 3.30, her parents immediately knew something was wrong. Police were called at 5.55 p.m. What kind of dog did she have? I don't know. You don't know its name? I bet it had four legs and a nose. I didn't find that relevant to what we were discussing. This was this girl's dog. What was her dog's name? Do you know? Chippers? Where did you get Chippers? That just seems like a Canadian name for a dog. I can look through the book and find it. No, it's fine. I didn't think that I needed to include that. You probably should next time. There's a dog, Katie. Yeah, it's dog. We're talking about a 15-year-old about to get raped and murdered. Yeah, so. so a little something light in there to, you know. Yeah. Paul and Carla had everything planned out before leaving for their shopping trip. St. Catherine's was a confusing place. Pretty much everyone that entered the city got lost at some point or another, even residents. The two knew if they asked someone walking down the street for directions they would be able to quickly grab them and shove them into their car. Is it hard to tell where north is in Canada? Because it's all north. They'd tried it multiple times before, but had never been successful. But this time, they were. They watched as Kristen walked down the street towards her house and pulled into the church parking lot she was crossing. Carla called out to her asking for directions, and because it was a woman asking and not a man, Kristen approached the car. As she looked down at the map, Paul jumped out of the driver's seat and held a knife to her, forcing her into the passenger seat while Carla sat behind her, holding onto her hair so she couldn't move. How long did that whole thing take? Just a few seconds? Seconds, yeah. Paul drove them back to their house, where they blindfolded Kristen and took her upstairs. Carla went through the house and disconnected all of the phones to ensure she wouldn't be able to call for help. Almost as soon as she entered the house, Paul got the video camera out and began filming. As Paul raped her and Carla recorded, police were busy releasing a missing person report to all of St. Catharines. That night, they gave Kristen Halcyon, and she was forced to sleep next to Paul in their walk-in closet. They were sleeping in the closet? Yeah, confined space, so if she tried to get away, it would be easier to hear her, I assume. Oh. Why did he sleep? Why didn't he just lock her in the closet? Why did he sleep in there? Because it's part of his weird thing. Huh. The next day, Carla joined in. She dressed up in her schoolgirl outfit to match Kristen's uniform, and Paul filmed as they pretended to be getting ready to go out. The two put makeup on and discussed what perfumes they liked. For now, this was as far as it went. Paul took them both downstairs to watch a movie and have dinner. Kristen requested McDonald's, so Paul left the two girls alone while he went out to pick up food and a movie. They would repeat this process over the next three days. Carla and Paul raping Kristen, providing her food, and watching a movie together, then sleeping together in their bed. Isn't that how Stockholm Syndrome happens? Sometimes. Ish. Just like the old 
repetitive. The uh, you know, like it's all after a cycle, and then the person's just like, oh, that's just all they know, and now they're like brainwashed into thinking that's where they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to live. That can happen after three days. No, hmm. takes a lot longer than three days. Well, what happens to the people in Stockholm that are only there for three days? On Easter Day, Paul and Carlo were scheduled to go to the Homolkas for dinner. More than likely, it was planned, but both Paul and Carla gave different accounts of Kristen's death. Carla claimed that Paul strangled her to death, while Paul claimed that Carla beat her with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape. Most believed that they intended the entire time to kill Kristen, as she had not been blindfolded except for the first few moments after she had been brought into the house. Their accounts of how she died, this is what we get from them after they've been captured in Mm -hmm. the future. Carla was, I guess you could put air quotes around arrested, but Paul was actually arrested. And they just sat there pointing the finger at each other the whole time? It was mostly Carla, because we're going to talk about that probably next week, but she basically told them everything and got a plea deal for admitting everything. And tried to claim that she wasn't as involved as she was. And you can see in the videos because they didn't have them originally. And then Paul basically sat down and was like, she's bullshitting. This is what actually happened. So there's no way to know. I would believe him more than her because she was trying to save her own ass. And he knew he was going to prison forever. Why don't they know how Kristen died? Why don't they know whether it was strangling or hit with a rubber mallet? I think she had... Both injuries? Yeah, I think she had both, and it was they didn't really have any way to tell exactly what caused her death, because supposedly Carla hit her with a mallet, and then at some point there was a noose tied to the hope chest, and she somehow strangled herself that way. Okay. But more than likely, I think... I don't know if they ever released her autopsy, but it looks more like that Paul killed her, okay. strangled her to death. Was that going to do it for us this week, Kitty? That is it for this week, yeah. For this week? There's another week of this shit? We're going to get into the trial and... Is that the it? Is that the last next week? I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know until I write it. Oy vey. All right, guys. Well, if you, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast. Our new Facebook group, Four Corners Crimecast Discussion Group, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and check us out wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com, where you can get a full episode list. Uh, you can put in an idea, or you could send us an idea for an episode that you want to hear. Or you can get your free sticker from the merch store just by putting Bingo Bango in the checkout code. So don't forget, or don't remember, any of this. I know, I have a feeling Grace, who recommended this, is like very much regretting her decision <laughs> now. All right, guys, talk to you later. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! What do a fish <laughs> fart smell like? Do fish fart? Do all animals fart? I don't know the answer to that. I think we'd see more bubbles in the water.